You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Get in the know. Non-stop Vikings talk. It's Purple Daily on Score North and scorenorth.com. All right, what a difference one week makes. We joked. We laughed at the end of last week's episode saying, what if the Vikings win their next two games? And we talk about the Vikings being buyers. Well, the Vikings did win their next two games since we've last talked on Purple Daily on Draft right here every Monday on the Purple Daily YouTube channel. But they lost the most important position and player in football, on their football team, I should say, in Kirk Cousins to an Achilles injury. And now this episode is devoted to the Jaron Hall propaganda train. That's what we're going to go with here on Purple Daily on Draft. And I know Forno has been uh, asking for this and talking about this for a long time, even before the draft, even before the Vikings drafted him out of BYU. So this kind of lays the groundwork here. And Forno is talking off Mike. They're like, hey, I'm excited for our Jaron Hall to start. Obviously, different circumstances. They didn't envision it happening like this, where Kirk represents an Achilles tendon, and now you have to basically start a rookie potentially the rest of the way. So let's let's go down the path here to start a Purple Daily on Draft. Hit the subscribe button for daily Vikings entertainment right here, too. Tyler Fornis, Miles Gorham, Declan Goff here uh, every Monday on the Purple Daily YouTube channel and podcast feed. So... Jaron Hall, Forno, are, are we ready to lean into the Jaron Hall experience? Are you excited? Can he do this? What is your kind of first thought here if Jaron Hall is indeed uh, the starting quarterback the rest of the way for the Vikings? Well, first, um, all the best wishes to Kirk Cousins and his just being able to heal and figuring it out. Um, like an Achilles injury is just absolutely brutal. And nobody wanted his potential Vikings tenure to end with a ruptured Achilles, nor did they want his season to end. But that's kind of the position we're in and all the best wishes to him and the Vikings moving forward. But what we're going to do here is we're just going to try and look at what's forward. And because the past is the past and there's nothing we can do to change it, but we can change how the future looks. And that's, that's where Jaron Hall comes in. And I have been, very high on Jaron Hall. I gave him a third round grade coming into the process. He has a little bit of athletic limit, not athletic limitations, but he doesn't have like the strongest arm, but he has a more than capable arm. And I guess in retrospect, you can kind of relate it to Kirk Cousins, where Cousins doesn't have this elite level arm, but he can zip throws in the short and intermediate windows and he can throw long. Hall struggles most when he's throwing long um, it with accuracy, but in that like kind of like that 15 to 30 yard range. He is so good at dropping it in the bucket. What I mean is if you were to put a bucket, like a five gallon bucket, you get at home Depot out. He's going to be able to just drop it right in there. And you see that with his receivers where it'll just drop perfectly right into their hands and arms. And that's kind of his specialty is great in the intermediate levels of the field. Um, just his last season at BYU, he had 22 big time throws off uh, percentage of 5.5. Um, and one of the things that's really impressive about him is he knows the offense. And one thing I I keep hearing from people is like, Oh, this offense is so complicated and stuff. Yeah. He's learning an NFL version 
of the same offense he ran in college. So it's not as if he ran like a spread and all of a sudden he's learning a real pro style offense. He ran a lot of the same concepts at BYU. They just ran them out of spread formations and they used a lot more shotgun, but he has the capability of playing under center. He has the ability to go through his progressions and make smart calculated decisions. Problem is the speed at which he's going through his progressions right now is not fast enough. You saw that on the strip sack where Hall found the right read. He made the right decision. He was just a little bit too slow and the ball got knocked out of his hands before he could actually make the throw. And I think some of that is going to come with time. The best way to figure out how to process faster is by processing. So over the next nine games, if Hall ends up starting every single one of them, it's going to be a really interesting development curve for him because he has all the talent. He has the ability. He has the mental capacity. He has the intelligence, the leadership ability. I mean, we have to remember he's 25 years old, but I consider him 23 in football years because of that two-year Mormon mission. It's with a Mormon mission. That's all you do. You don't go out and have fun. You don't like (laughs) practice football. You don't play. It is a, a mission. And that that's what he was doing. He was spreading the word of the book of Mormon. So his body has two less years of hits than a normal 25 year old quarterback, which I think is important here. And when you put all these things together, Hall has the ability to do everything that you want for a starting quarterback of the Minnesota Vikings. Is he going to be able to do that and sustain it? Is he going to be able to show growth? Is he going to be the future of this football team? Those are all massive questions that need a lot of variables to be figured out and answered. But if you want a guy as a mid round pick who could potentially be a Brock Purdy, a Tom Brady, a Dak Prescott, a guy you take on day three that all of a sudden rises up and becomes a true starter and potential game changer for your franchise. Jaron Hall is the guy and he's in the absolute perfect situation for him because of what this offense is because of the infrastructure that this team has with the two offensive tackles with the good offensive line with the offensive minded head coach and play caller with two stud receivers and a stud tight end. You don't have a better situation for that guy to potentially succeed than Jaron Hall. And if he does great, if he doesn't, you're probably going to be in position to get it within shooting range of a Drake may. All right, Miles, do you trust Jaron Hall here? So obviously Fornell's pretty pretty bullish on him, but there are some characteristics. Maybe even the infrastructure around Jaron Hall is, yes, probably better than a lot of other rookie quarterbacks who have to step, uh, step in and make spot starts going forward. Uh, do you trust Jaron Hall to be the starting quarterback of the Vikings in 2023? Well, I mean, trust is a is a hard word to to use because, I mean, he's a, he's a fifth-round rookie that's being kind of thrust into a situation he didn't ask for and they didn't want him to be in. So I think that's a little bit of a different scenario. Like he was never expected to even be the backup quarterback, but Nick Mullins got hurt. And so he kind of got forced into the situation. I think they wanted him to kind of redshirt this year, kind of learn, process, run run through practice, do all those things that like a, a backup developmental quarterback should should be able to do. But, I mean, he seems like the type that really does want to like bury himself in the game, really learn and understand how to do things. I think he's going to lean on the leadership from the from the team to like get himself right. Now, the one area I think I, besides him being a rookie, another area I have a major concerns about is the fact that like, this isn't 2019 where I think had Kirk Cousins got hurt in 2019, it might've been a little bit easier for, for them to find a backup quarterback to kind of um, fill in and, and, and kind of like play, play well in, in the offense because that offense 
was predicated by the run game and play action. This offense's run game is trash. It's awful. It's one of the worst running games in the, in the, in the league. And on top of that, when you have a rookie quarterback, running the football is so important. And so if you can't run the football efficiently, it just puts even more onus on, on Jaron Hall, which makes what Kirk Cousins was doing even more impressive because the run game was so poor. But that just adds that much more pressure and, and like uh, a lack of infrastructure for Jaron Hall that he shouldn't have to have. So that's, I guess, probably some of my bigger worries for him. Like, I th- he's going to make his mistakes. He's going to go through a roller coaster. You hope there's more highs than lows, but to expect him to be even Brock Purdy, I, I think is obviously unrealistic. It's, it's, it's a really tough, tall order to, to make. But, I mean, I think he's got the skill set to at least maybe be a, a backup type quarterback. And so maybe this is his opportunity to really show that he could be a, a spot starter. Now, I don't know if he's a, a long-term uh, type, type solution, but I think he's going might, to might have his opportunity to prove that. Um, I think the one other pause I have is that Kevin O'Connell. I so let me preface this by saying Kevin O'Connell yesterday was really flustered, probably going through all the emotions. They win a huge game, but also like lose their starting quarterback. But he also wasn't fully ready to commit to a Jaron Hall like long term, like rest of the season. This is his team. We're gonna ride the ride with him, like like some other teams have done with other quarterbacks. But like the Jets with Zach Wilson, obviously draft pedigree is a little different there. Um, but so I do wonder how they actually feel about Jaron Hall behind the scenes in terms of coming in and trying to be that starter for nine, ten, you know, games, whatever. How what is it? What are they? Uh, four and four, so eight, so nine games, right? So uh, we'll we'll see how that plays out. But um, yeah, it, it's really hard for me to be like, all right, Jaron Hall, um, get us to the playoffs. Like I, I just don't really know if I find that realistic. But to, to Forno's point, if he's not good enough, then. You're in, that should mean that you're in striking distance to get a, a quarterback in the top 10. So it's kind of one of those weird scenarios that we're, as a fan, I'm not used to, obviously with Kirk Cousins because he's been here for six years and never had to worry about health, never had to worry about, like, the backup quarterback as much because of those reasons. But, um, yeah, it's really tough. I've been trying to, like, find the words to, like, talk about the scenario, the situation, but it just feels weird. Like, it, like there's that Teddy, Teddy Bridgewater 2016 um, type of feeling, but this is in the middle of the season. This isn't be, even before the season started, so it's a little bit of an unprecedented territory for the Vikings fans that we haven't had in a while. So I've been kind of having a hard time <laughs> coming up with like how to like really preface everything that's going on or like process. Forno, do you think that the Vikings can still win games with with Jaron Hall here? I mean, their defense is playing a little bit better. We obviously mentioned the infrastructure around him as well. Miles brings up that you know. O'Connell's a little flustered, and look, I I could spend another 45 minutes on Jonathan Vilma's color commentary, not in the most positive lights, uh, but I did agree with him when he came in that, like, why are you making him throw passes? You should probably just run the ball and try to get the hell out of Lambeau with the W, and it gets a little, like, the Vikings had control of that game, but they obviously uh, could have made it a lot easier on themselves. Do you still think the Vikings can win games? Or could maybe let's just start here. Can they beat the Falcons on Sunday with Jaron Hall as their starting quarterback? I think they can. And here's, here's the thing. And uh, miles brought up an interesting point. Like we, the big thing with Hall is we don't know. And there's probably a 10% chance that he is a Dak Prescott where he's a franchise quarterback. And if you take out that 10%, it might even be lower 10, than that, to be honest, like, <laughs> nine out of 10 times, at least right. he's not. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. A fifth round pick theoretically should be a backup that can come in and win you games when you need them to like a one or two game spot start, like Dante Culpepper had like a sprained ankle a couple times when he was with the Vikings. 
guess who came in? Guys like Gus Farratt, Todd Bauman. And they came in and won games. So that should be the expectation for Hall. Should he? we expect him alone to be able to carry this team in games? Absolutely not. And I think it's going to be interesting how Kevin O'Connell play calls for a different style of quarterback because Hall is a dual threat. He is a lot more mobile and you can utilize some of that stuff to your advantage. Now, how will that impact the running game? That is, I think, the biggest intrigue here because now you can add RPOs. Now you can add like a potential like quarterback option. You can do all these different things because you have a different style quarterback. And to me, that's where the intrigue lies right now. I don't know how many games this team can win with Jaron Hall as a starting quarterback. I think the over under is like three and a half. I think that's probably saying it fairly considering all the other pieces around this team, considering how much improvement you're going to likely get from Jaron Hall throughout the year and considering how good of a coaching staff this is on the offensive defensive side of the ball. I think that they'll be able to figure out enough of a game plan to make this work. Is it going to get them to the playoffs? Probably not. Let's just be real with ourselves. But you have a developmental guy. He is mature. He's intelligent. He comes from the same offensive system that, that they run here, that they ran in college. Let's see where it goes. Mm -hmm. And if it goes nowhere, but you know what? That's okay. You gave it a real shot and we'll, we'll end up talking about it, but there's no sense in mortgaging your future for a guy who has, has to spend weeks to learn your system and then probably won't be much of a difference maker. So you mentioned him maybe doing RPOs, and O'Connell's kind of changed up, honestly, a lot of the play calling since Justin Jefferson's been out, which is weird, because I feel like some of the, his best offensive games have been in this limited sample size with the best wide receiver on the sidelines, the hamstring injury. But how, how much, Miles, can you like change up a playbook and make it so much easier for that quarterback, but also maybe making it like more complicated for the rest of the offense? Like, I guess, what balance do you have to kind of have here knowing that you're having a rookie quarterback who might have strengths in RPOs, but that wasn't like obviously Kirk Cousins thing. So how much of that do you kind of have to like marry together on Sunday by the time you play Atlanta? And this is obviously assuming too that Jaron Hall is a starting quarterback. Yeah. I mean, I think one thing you got to make sure you do is, is obviously give him more play actions, give him a quick and quick game. I think quick reads something like don't make him work through like three reads of three progressions, those types of things. Like let him hit his back foot and get rid of the football. I think the one thing that Kevin O'Connell we saw with him and Kirk Cousins is because of how, how much of a veteran and how talented Kirk Cousins was, O'Connell was able to tell him, hey, even if that first read might be there, it's okay to like peek over and see if that second read, the, the deeper read might be there. Like those are things you can't do with Jaron Hall right now. You're gonna have to make sure that like he can just function within the offense. And so I think you gotta make things a little bit easier on him. Obviously, the run game, we talked about that earlier. The run game has to be a huge staple of what they do moving forward. This can't be a a throw first football team the way it's been under Kirk Cousins because that's just you're you're putting your quarter your rookie quarterback in a really tough situation if that's the plan. So I think O'Connell needs to kind of adjust some of his play calling and timing of his play calling. I think you can do plenty of things that you've already already been doing with Kirk Cousins. It's just about timing and making sure that you're you're putting uh, Jaron Hall in the best situation to have success and and give him simpler opportunities and simpler reads and um, obviously I think O'Connell's really good at um, and scheming guys open. So I think that's really positive for, for Jaron Hall. But again, the longer developing routes, some of these things that like you could put Kirk Cousins in a situation and say, hey, you might have to, you know, work through your full full a full field progression like consistent, consistently the way we've seen Kirk Cousins do it. 
I think it's a little bit different with Jaron Hall where you got to kind of maybe shorten the field, give him half field reads, some of those things early on, kind of as he get it, as he gets going because he has not had the reps. He hasn't had the opportunities. So I don't think you can just throw him out there on Sunday and say, hey, we're not changing the playbook. Uh, we're going to treat you like your Kirk Cousins because that's just not realistic and it, it wouldn't be setting him up for success. So I think KOC's, besides the like um, trade deadline being this week and them trying to figure out what to do, I also think the big thing for him is kind of develop and getting getting in a room with Jaron Hall and saying, "Hey, here's what tell tell me what like works best for you," and kind of having that strong relationship, um, and and letting like guys like Sean Mannion, who's in the in the, in the building, and I, I know Nick Mullins is out, but um, he's still around, and I would assume Kirk Cousins will be around a little bit depending on his surgery situation. So like he's got people to lean on to talk to 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 help get him up to speed. But yeah, I think it's just about him and KOC really getting on a strong page together and and kind of figuring out the the strengths and, and the things he does understand and, and what he doesn't. So before we get into other maybe trade deadline or, or situations for the Vikings, now that Kirk Cousins is obviously out for the season, uh, Forno, does this basically guarantee that the Vikings are probably going to take a quarterback in round one? Does does Jaron Hall's performance obviously hinder this a little bit? But you know we've hinted at this, and obviously draft position and where you at the, are at the board obviously plays a factor too. But with Kirk Cousins' injury now, and obviously an unknown in Jaron Hall, is it more is it more likely today that the Vikings are going to draft a quarterback early in the draft? No, I I think you could argue that it's less likely that they take quarterback in round one. And let me kind of uh, go through that. Okay. Kirk Cousins, thirty five years old, ruptured Achilles. But let's just be real with this free agent market. How many teams are going to want to pay a free agent quarterback that has a ruptured Achilles tendon at thirty five years old? Like he was playing great football, but that's a really brutal injury uh, to come back from. And there's a, there's a real chance that the Vikings could get him on even more of a discount because his market just might not be very good. And no matter how, uh, unless Hall comes out in his Dak Prescott in his rookie season, I I think it doesn't move the needle at all for if they'll take a quarterback in round one, because I think that's kind of the bar to uh, for what Hall could potentially be you got to be rookie Dak Prescott and you have to be able to show that kind of performance and uh, the thing with Prescott is he had a very similar tool set to what Hall's going to be coming in with he had uh, except he was going to have a much better running back in Zeke Elliott he had great tackles he had really good weapons on the outside he had a really good tight end and he was able to maximize it now Ken Hall who knows that it's it's that's a wild card. And that's, what's going to make the rest of the season enjoyable to watch because you get to see a rookie quarterback start to work through things and figure things out. And I, I think the injury makes it less likely just because of what I said earlier. I think it's more likely he gets another year because I don't think his free agent market is going to be as robust, but if there's an opportunity for them to take a guy and they want the guy, I don't think anything will stop them from actually going and get the guy. But I don't know. It's everything's so cloudy and unsure at this exact moment, just because it's, it's so fresh. It, the wound is right there. And the timing, the timing couldn't be worse for the Vikings in terms of like the deadline and everything. It's like, it's unfortunate. Like obviously all like everything out to Kirk, like not nothing like, but the timing also for, from a team standpoint, they have to go through so much as well. Like they have to make these huge decisions within like, like, uh, like 36 hours, 48 hours essentially of each other. And, we a big trade just went down uh, in the NFL. Leonard Williams from the Giants just got traded to the Seahawks for a second and a fifth. And so I wonder 
like that. I, I know we're not getting down this too far, but like that just made me think like Daniel Hunter trades. Like, in a, I know it's tough, but like the scenario from yesterday kind of creates this like snowball effect of like the things that they might not have been willing to do before the game yesterday coming into the deadline. Maybe they're more open to doing like a, a Daniel Hunter trade for a second and a fifth type of type of scenario. So it's kind of a just brought into my mind when I saw that pop that flash. This is Tom Bernard. Can't get enough of sports talk with Phil Mackey and Judd Zolgad? Tune in to the new Tom Bernard Show podcast Monday through Friday as Phil and Judd join me to discuss the latest sports headlines and whatever else comes to mind. Just download the Tom Bernard Show app wherever you get your podcasts or visit TomBernardShow.com. It's another way to get more from me and Judd talking sports and having fun with Tom, and it's all at your fingertips. Download the Tom Bernard Show app now and join the conversation. I saw even Kevin O'Connell said uh, at the podium on Monday afternoon that, quote, you wouldn't believe some of the things on my cell phone I have received (laughs) over the last 24 hours. So, yeah, it's obviously a very fluid situation. We're we're recording this on a Monday afternoon and a little little before 2 p.m. Central time. Uh, But, I mean, we can it's safe to ask this question. Do do you think the Vikings should be buying or should they be selling at the trade deadline? Miles, do you think that they should stay put? Um, If I guess if you were if you were Quasey, not putting yourself in Quasey's Mm -hmm. shoes, but if you were running the Vikings. What would you want to do here if you were if you were in charge of making these decisions? I think the la- like even even with the Kirk Cousins injury, I think the last two weeks with the way this team has played, it's hard to like warrant or even like sell through the fact that they should be complete sellers. Like I think even going into yesterday before, like they they've had they've been playing their best football all season. I think everybody's kind of come together. The defense has looked like a really good unit. Offense obviously has been playing its best football. I don't see them becoming like full-on sellers so if I was crazy I don't know if I'd say like full-on sellers but I would obviously be listening to everything like I'm at a point where maybe I was I was turning away people on Saturday Sunday morning all those things and then all of a sudden kind of the situation that happened yesterday I'm probably answering my phone a little bit more often and willing to like hear what hear people out for guys like KJ Osborne Ezra Cleveland um uh, who else will be talking Jordan Jordan. Jordan like those those guys to me like even even if the like Kirk Cousins hadn't got hurt, I still think those guys should have been like people that you were considering moving anyways, just because they're on expiring deals. I don't think they plan to extend any of those guys, and you're in a situation where you could get draft capital while also staying competitive. Um, but with that situation with Kirk, I think it's like you're more likely or more should be more open to trading those guys, and the and the return probably doesn't have to be like a as high as you were hoping for it to be. Now, Daniel Hunter's situation, now, to me, that's like a first or or he's staying. It's kind of yeah. one of those scenarios. Like, it'd be really hard to sell through to everybody else on the roster, their ownership, uh, coaching staff, if I was crazy, to to say, oh, we'll, we'll trade Daniel Hunter for a late second-round pick or a third-round pick. Like, I just don't see that happening. So I think it's like if you can get a first-round pick, that's a little bit of a different scenario because of what happened yesterday to why you could warrant trading him. But I think otherwise, if you don't, then there's you're really not in a position to – to trade a guy like Dino Hunter who's been a focal point of your defense, who's leading the league in sacks, really hard to sell your, your, your roster and your, your locker room. Like, Hey, we know what happened to Kirk, but we also need to look out for us. And like season's over, we're going to trade Hunter. Like the only sell through you could do there is like the return was just too good to, to like say no to. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where I think they're at is they need to make people say like teams need to make them say no, mm-hmm. but they'll, they'll, they'll probably be calling a lot. 
I guess I would totally take a prior for I would probably do a first round pick. I shouldn't say totally. I'd probably would do the first round pick. But honestly, if if you're not going to trade them and I don't know what the representation, you know, is what their end game is here. But I would probably lock them up to an extension at that point. Right. Like forget trying to go to the, the to the offseason with him, maybe building up even more value. And I'm sure he's asking for a lot. He deserves a lot. But I would be in the camp of trying to extend him, right? I mean, at this point, Forno, I don't know what you what you would want to do there. Obviously, a first-round pick is pretty enticing. If it's even more than that, how can you not say no? Uh, but I guess what what do you want to see the Vikings do to Neil Hunter by tomorrow's deadline? I think there's only two uh, one way the Vikings trade to Neil Hunter, and it's if this ends up being true. They get a first-round pick plus, and either they don't think he's going to re-sign with the team or they don't have him in their long-term plans. And I, I can't speak for the Vikings because I don't know either of those last two factors. But if you can answer those two with, yes, that's correct, then you move him. And I think that that's the only reason why you would move him. If you think he's going to be a part of your long-term plans, but you just couldn't come to an agreement on a long-term deal right then, but you wanted to act in good faith and be like, okay, we're going to talk about this right when the season ends. We're going to give you your raise, which you have earned based on your on-field play. And we're going to go back to the negotiating table. And that that's a good faith gesture by the Vikings that usually is reciprocated by the players. Like, hey, the Vikings, like Hunter signed a bad contract. No, you can't argue that it was a good contract for him because like weeks later, Khalil Mack beat it by like seven and a half million dollars a season. And the Vikings acted in good faith, continuing to get Hunter more money. And he ended up, with about $14 million more in max value after it was all said and done with that five-year $72 million contract. So good faith goes somewhere with people just in a general sense. Um, If I were the Vikings, I don't think you do any short-term rentals. Um, I had written a couple pieces where, Hey, maybe you look at some rental players that are really inexpensive, a Justin Houston for like a sixth or seventh round pick from Carolina that could help put you over the top. You're not in that position anymore. If the Vikings are going to buy, I think it needs to be a TJ Hawkinson type move. It needs to be, I'm bringing you in because I'm going to make you a cornerstone of my franchise. Chase Young is probably the guy. If you're going to make a move, that's the move you make because you think he can be, he was drafted as a second overall pick. He had nine sacks as a rookie before an ACL basically cost in the last two years. You can take that guy and he's already shown that he's back to full strength. If you put him with Daniel Hunter and then slide Marcus Davenport to five technique, all of a sudden you have a front that could be just monstrous moving forward. And that could really be a game changer for your defense. I think if you're going to make a move, that's what you do. Um, The commanders are asking for a second round pick. I think you try and maneuver, you do like a second and a fourth and try and get like a third back, something like that. But if the Vikings are going to make a trade, it's going to be a Hawkinson type move. I don't even know if you should do it, but if they're going to, that's the only only path I see forward. Let's uh, let, let's talk a little bit about Vikings uh, rookie performers so far here before getting some college football notes. I mean, Jordan Addison continues to put up pretty solid numbers. He was I was obviously one of the most targeted wide receivers yesterday uh, for the Vikings as well. Right now, he has the third best odds to win rookie of the year. It's going to be C.J. Stroud, right? Probably with the bullet at this point. Even betting wise, he's a minus one forty five. So. He uh, he probably will lock this thing up, and it's typically is a quarterback re- uh, award. But uh, just looking at what Jordan Addison's been able to do here after kind of a rocky training camp and off the field things, he has obviously turned himself in to a damn good wide receiver. 
I guess my question is, Miles, is what does he look like once Justin Jefferson comes back? Because he like he obviously had some you know moments with JJ on the field too, but now I think I'm like I'm getting teased by the fact of oh it's just going to be exactly like it is right like JJ Jordan and Jordan Addison kind of tearing things up down the field to a degree. Um, what have you liked about Jordan Addison, and do you still think that he can still get the same amount of targets and, and make the same amount of impact once Justin Jefferson comes back from injury? I mean, elephant in the room, obviously the hardest thing there is no no Kirk. So, like, that changes, the, obviously, the, the dynamic overall. But I think if when Justin Jefferson comes back, all things equal, like, Addison's doing everything you're hoping he could do to help create more opportunities for J.J., but also at the same time, J.J.'s going to do that for Addison. I think what, what we would see is kind of like what we saw with Diggs and Thielen or even like Thielen and, uh, and JJ. Like you have two dynamic receivers that can win all over the field and you can utilize those guys and interchange them so well. I just think that's how well uh, Addison's been able to play, especially these last few weeks when uh, JJ went down. So, um, yeah, I think it just adds more more fire to everything you have on, on, on the, in the passing game. Um, and I think what Addison would be able to do is just take more snaps from KJ Osborne. And I think we obviously, I don't know where JJ is in terms of like returning. Like, I think he's got what, one more week left, two more weeks. I could be, I think he has to miss um, at least one more game, right? I think is this it is, one more. Yeah, he's missed like this, three. this next, the, the, yeah, the Falcons game is the last one. Yeah, right? And, and he's, he's eligible. eligible, eligible to return. So mm-hmm. obviously don't know where he's at, but if he's, if he's in a spot where you feel like he feels good to come back, all those things, blah, blah, blah. Like that's why I was saying like KJ Osborne could be an opportunity to move him because Addison has rightfully earned that role as like that number two guy opposite JJ. And so you have those two guys playing like majority of the snaps and then you interchange Brandon Powell and those types. So um, yeah, I think Addison just should just continue to be that like number two option, but he's played himself so well that he's been that number one option while JJ has been out and you haven't missed a beat mm-hmm. and you've played really well. So like that to me just shows like how strong, that duo can be long-term. And then obviously TJ Hawkinson fits in there as well. Um, so I'm just excited about those two kind of like tearing up the league moving forward. Forno on the defensive side of the ball, I believe you tweeted this out. I believe this was at, on the Monday night game during the Niners that you said you're, you're ready to call a Caleb Evans, a, a damn good uh, NFL cornerback. I'm paraphrasing there slightly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what have, what have you liked from him as a rookie cornerback or not a rookie cornerback, second year cornerback here? What have you liked from his game specifically? Well, I will say yesterday was not a great performance from Evans. Uh, that pass interference in the end zone, just not being able to get your head around quick enough. Um, and just, he he just plays really smart. He plays with good leverage. He has capable enough speed to keep up with receivers, but he's not like a, a barn burner in that aspect. More of a long strider. And he has, he has just knack of just being able to stay in the hip pocket and being able to knock down the ball or at least contest it. He's just turning into a very solid player. And the thing with cornerback is you don't need great. Great is awesome. It's fantastic. Just don't be a disaster. Just be capable. Like the Bengals made the Super Bowl with three average corners as their top three. As long as you don't have a, it's like offensive line. Just don't have a weak link. Everybody be solid. And Evans, I think, is that really solid piece. And with the emergence of Booth over the last couple of weeks and Blackman's been playing well and you have Byron Murphy Jr. who gets targeted a lot, but he is around the football really often and he's been able to make plays. Like I think the Vikings have a solid cornerback room and I wouldn't try to add to it during this trade deadline. Like I know uh, some have opined, uh, it was before the Kirk Cousins injury, but like, he's a good football player. And sometimes good football players are exactly what you need. And 
he's on a rookie contract for two more seasons. And at that point you can make a decision if you want to keep him, but he, he just consistently plays solid football. And that's a massive upgrade from what the Vikings have been dealing with in prior seasons. All right, boys, any, um, any other last notes from yesterday's Vikings game, which should have been a euphoric, like awesome win, right? You, you, you kicked the Packers ass. You beat them by two scores for the first time in four years. Um, like I said, from the off the jump last week, we were just assuming a Vikings loss against the Niners. They stunned them. Then they beat the Packers. Here they are, four and four. Uh, before we get to any college football takeaways, Miles, anything else uh, that stood out to you from the Vikings side of things uh, yesterday or even during the Niners game? It's not like young guy related, but like Josh Metellus, I think has just been yeah, man. A, a relation. Like for them to be able to recognize him as like that, that like core. Um, like nickel, like a big linebacker, like a uh, small linebacker, like um, type hybrid player and, and him to be able to play and, and take like that, that interception yesterday was really impressive. It kind of reminded me of like the Addison Traverius Ward uh, situation um, uh, from Monday night where like, I thought Reed was going to take that ball away and was going to like have a huge catch. And all of a sudden I'll see Mattel strip the ball away, like the way Ward probably should have against Addison. So it was kind of like a reverse scenario but went the Vikings way I think Metellus has been all over the field and I think his ability like there's times he gets beat that's going to happen I think he's still he's still learning on the fly but I just think he's played really good football for this defense and it's been a it's been really important for the 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 ability for this defense to kind of transcend and and get back to being even an average unit Um, and I think he's a big part of that all right Fono college football takeaways from uh from another action-packed weekend on Saturday what did you uh who stood out to you what teams what players did you uh notice yesterday I know we talked about Bo Nix off the microphone who I know that 35 year old quarterback basically in college football I'm just kidding uh what did what did you notice from the college football side of things over the weekend listen uh I want to start with Washington they struggled against a really tough Stanford team and Stanford uh has played teams very, very tough so far this year. They even um, got a big upset. I can't remember who it was over uh, a couple weeks ago, but um, oh, it was a uh, Washington State. Um, they've been playing really good football, and they took Washington to the limit. Um, Washington has had a couple rough games the past two weeks, but they've also been dealing with uh, a really big flu bug, as you saw go around the NFL this past weekend. Guys were popping up on the injury report. Kenny Wangwu mysteriously appeared on a Friday and then was out. Same thing happened to DJ Wanham against the Dolphins last year. Patrick Mahomes uh, said he had an illness and then he just played an absolutely very poor game against the Denver Broncos. Like the flu's just been kind of going around. It's that's that season. My wife's a pharmacist. She'll tell you, get your flu shot. When we eventually have kids, I have to get a flu shot in order to even see my kid. Like that's how serious she is about it. So it, like it, it's one of those things and Washington got hit hard from everybody who covers the team that I talked to and they struggled, but Michael Penix jr. Um, favorite to win the Heisman. I don't think that should change. And it, they have a couple really big games coming up. Um, they're against USC this weekend, which is going to be a really, really fun matchup. Um, USC's defense is an abomination. It is absolutely atrocious. Alex Grinch still having a job as a defensive coordinator in the power five is one of the more baffling things I've seen in college football in recent years, other than Iowa's offense, because I mean, everybody knows about Iowa's offense. Their offensive coordinator is apparently <laughs> done after the season, which is a huge benefit to them, but we'll see how Kirk Ferentz treats the new guy um, when they're not his son. So that'll be interesting, but college football, it we're getting down to the nitty gritty. And I'll say this, Georgia might be the most boring number one seed 
number one overall team I've ever watched. They're just really good, but it's they're not even like fun to watch. They just they're just really efficient and effective on both sides of the football. And they're just able to get it done. They don't have nearly the amount of star powers they had the past couple of years, but they're just playing well and doing the thing. So they could be in line for a third straight national championship. But if there's there are a couple of teams who could potentially play spoiler for them, and the the latter part of the season is going to be a lot of fun to watch for that reason. Also, Rock Chalk Jayhawk, Kansas. <laughs> beating a bad Dylan Gabriel and Oklahoma squad. The Oklahoma squad isn't bad. Dylan Gabriel is though. Um, that was a fun football game and the big 12 uh, conference championship race. Cause no, no divisions. It's just the top two teams. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch down the stretch. Yeah. Just looking even at like FanDuel's national championship odds, like Michigan and Georgia had the best at plus two fifty, but then Florida States plus five fifty, Ohio States plus seven hundred, and then it drops off a little bit to Oregon and Bama, who are fourteen hundred and sixteen hundred respectively. It seems like there just isn't a dominant dog in the race, and probably that's or a pun intended there for for Georgia, but uh it just it seems like it's completely wide open here. And I'm I'm excited to watch that play out too. So going to be a blast man i'm i'm jacked to watch uh this college football season play out i do next oh, yeah. week i want to ask you porno this is a tease and a spoiler i guess we haven't talked anything about i believe riley leonard at duke have we on this show have we talked riley mm-hmm. leonard at all he's like daniel jones but slightly better okay. i i just don't think he's <laughs> a he's a guy you can really rely on as a potential pro prospect uh, the idea of him is better than the performance plus He's basically been dealing with an ankle for the past four weeks, so we really haven't seen much of him at all. He re-injured it against Florida State when they were ahead in that game, and they ended up losing. But like, we can talk about him, but I really don't think there's a ton to be excited about. He's he's probably going to go back next year. I'm guessing he'll transfer and try to get a better offense in the P5 because Mike Elko is a very defensive-minded coach, and you just don't have the weapons at Duke that you're going to have at other schools. And maybe see if he can raise his pro stock at that point. but. I just think that he's effective, he's efficient, he's a dual threat, but there's really nothing exceptional or special about him. Well, let's put a pin in that for next week, and we can uh, get into more of those questions. And obviously, if anyone else, if you guys want any of us to talk about anything, let us know on the Purple Daily YouTube channel. Uh, the Score North app, too, is a central hub that I see feedback coming in through as well. So hit us up. This is Purple Daily on Draft every Monday. Wait, Declan. Yes, sir. How, how, do we, how do we not talk about the first first place in the Big Ten West? Oh, the Minnesota Gophers? Golden oh, Gophers. yeah. My God. Oh, <laughs> Jesus. Then it'll go away. Good Lord. I just had to add that. I was trying to add that earlier. Oh. Yeah, like, if they had beat Northwestern, I think I would at least be like, okay, there's, like, a chance they could For win sure. the Big Ten West. But, like, yeah, I just thought that was funny. Like, we, haven't, we didn't talk about they're leading the Big Ten West. Like, yeah, Iowa on. loses one more game and Minnesota <laughs> sweeps outside of the Ohio yeah. State team. They'll go to Indianapolis and get smoked by Michigan again. Wouldn't that be wild? Though, like they're one of their worst seasons under PJ Fleck, and they still might win the Big Ten West. Yeah, I don't yeah. Know. it's a it's an awful brand of football. It is just it really is. just the grind to get to even thirteen points, not even ten points. So, uh, yeah, it, it's been tough. So, no, no, a good parting shot there, Miles. Not not a bad one at all. I don't roll the boat necessarily. I, I root for their success, but it's uh, it's going to be fun to watch them potentially play in the Big Ten West uh, for sure. <laughs> All right, fellas, Miles Gorham, Tyler Fornis here, Declan Goff, Purple Daily on draft every Monday right here on the Purple Daily YouTube channel. Hit that subscribe button. We just want to see the Vikings win a Super Bowl before we die.